If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheets are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or add a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheets bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheets for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 12-12. This is a special hour number three of the World According to Zig podcast for this December 31st, 2017 my name is John Ziegler. I'm the host of this show where you can still get the truth about news, politics, media, sports, and culture from a true conservative perspective in this world turned upside down. And our special hour number three is, as it often is, is a major update on the so-called Penn State Joe Paterno Jerry Sandusky scandal, which you, if you know anything about me at all, you know I have been neck deep in for, oh gosh, almost six years now, actually in some ways over six years, but intermittently it has completely overwhelmed my life, uh, mostly to the detriment, <laughs> in fact, dramatically to the detriment. And the reason why uh, there's definitely an hour number three warranted by recent events is that a couple days ago, the Washington Post finally published what was at least a year-long, quote-unquote, investigation into the story by a sports reporter by the name of Will Hobson. And, uh, and it finally got released. Now, I have told you about this story. I, I'm pretty sure, I'm not, in fact, I'm sure that I referenced the Washington Post as the source of this story. I've, I've told you that this was coming for a couple of months now. And I have also told you that uh, my expectations were very, very low for this story. Even as low as my expectations were, (laughs) they were not met. (laughs) But in a weird way, that's actually a good thing. And I'm going to explain why as I move along here. But just as some more backdrop. So if you recall, I have said for months that the Washington Post was working on this story. And I thought that... It was probably, and, and this was the, the, the analogy I used, that they were going to do an investigation of Christmas and that they would likely raise some doubts as to whether or not reindeer can really fly and whether or not toys really come from elves. But they're not going to do anything regarding Santa Claus, right? Santa Claus is too big to fail, so we're, gonna, we're not going to touch Santa. But we'll, we'll talk about, you know, it's, is it possible that the reindeer really don't fly? Is it possible that elves don't really make the toys? And there was some of that in the Post story, even, maybe even a little less of that than I had expected or hoped. 
but um, but there was some of that. But by and large, my prediction was very accurate. Now, for more context on this, I have been involved for the last several months in a in kind of a weird race with the post, although to call it a race is a bit of a misnomer because it's a race that nobody really wanted to win. In fact, I was kind of hoping we would lose the race. And, and I'm, I'm sure you're confused. Well, John, what the hell are you talking about? And here's what I mean. Uh, for the last several months, uh, me and a couple of other people have been working on a major, what is supposed to be a cover story, in a major national magazine. And ideally, it's actually going to be a two-part story. That's what's been agreed to in principle. And this has taken far longer than I ever anticipated for a bunch of reasons. Some of them are purely logistical. Uh, there, there's, there's all sorts of reasons. I, I, can't, I, I, I can't get into the details right now. Hopefully when the story comes out, I can give you the whole backstory as I always do. But the bottom line is this has taken way longer than I expected. I actually made a trip to Pennsylvania uh, back in uh, October that was related to this. And my original hope was that we were going to get this story out uh, by the middle of November. That turned out to be a pipe dream. And more recently, I thought we were targeting the very beginning of January, which in retrospect would have been freaking awesome, but I don't think we're going to be able to hit that either. However, I do believe that that story is still on track. And in fact, I think the Washington Post story kind of helped and this is what I mean by this whole race that nobody really wanted to win business. Because we weren't 100% sure where the post was going to go. I felt pretty confident because I, I can smell people out very quickly. And I dealt with this Will Hobson guy for a long time with many phone calls. I've met with him. I've set him up with major interviews, texted with him well over 100 times. So I knew this was not this was not the guy. Okay, this was not the guy that was going to break open the real story of what a big fraud this whole thing was. And uh, and in fact, I I I came closer than anybody else did, as is almost always the case in this story, and to, in predicting exactly what was going to happen, which was essentially a big nothing burger. And there was a debate on our side as to, okay, do we want to try to beat the post? Or do we want to wait for the post to go first, see what they have, react to it, uh, you know, potentially even have access to more information once the post had done their thing? Because there'd be more of a, a willingness to leak stuff because now the post has you know, already shown their hand. Uh, and, and I was in the camp of, I hope they beat us. I, I want the post to go first because... If anything, they might, to put it in basketball terms, they might set a little pick for us. You know, in, you know, a pick in basketball is where one of your teammates blocks the way of a defender and opens you up for the, for the shot. And that was certainly not the post's intention, but, but my, in my vision, we were going to use the post as a pick because it would reopen the story in the public domain. It might move the football a couple of feet <laughs> in the right direction. I'm not sure we even got a couple of feet, but you know, there are people there are people on the Penn State side who think that the ball moved, but they're delusional. Uh anyway, the the point here is that um 
it is my understanding from talking to the people at the magazine that uh, we're planning to do with this for that they're actually excited about what the Post did because it was so bad. It was, it was so nothing. It was so boring. And so it left so much on the table that it did exactly as I had anticipated slash hope, which was to effectively set this pick for us. So uh, I'm still skeptical. I want to make this clear. I'm always skeptical, but, and I'm always pessimistic. I am still skeptical that uh, our project is going to happen in the way that is currently being envisioned. Because um, I, I, I just, I'm in this story, you know, rationality has no play, gravity has no impact. It's Alice in Wonderland, everything's upside down. So in a normal world, we would be set up perfectly to hit a grand slam. In this world, it, it still wouldn't shock me for at the last minute for everything to fall apart. Because what I've noticed in this story, because it's so damn toxic, is that there's always a willingness to uh, load a metaphorical gun. I'm not talking about a legitimate gun, literal gun. I'm talking metaphorical here. You know, there's a, there's a difference, a huge difference, a chasm between loading a gun, and our gun is loaded, folks. Okay? We got a loaded gun. We have this case completely busted open, as much as it could be busted open without having accusers come forward and say, you know what, I lied for my millions of dollars. We don't have that. Anything short of that, though, we got. And we got it covered from every possible base. All right? You're going to have to trust me. If you know me, take my word to the bank. We have it completely busted. So the gun is loaded. But there's a difference between everyone saying, sure, let's load the gun. And let's fire the gun. The firing of the gun is a different matter. And I'm hopeful, but I'm skeptical. I'll tell you, though. To be very clear, and this is where I this is this has been this whole six years has been hell for me. But this last few months has actually been the worst uh, from a different a couple of different perspectives. One, it's it's kind of like this: this case on my psyche and my life has kind of been like um, having a uh, a leg that needs, or maybe two legs that desperately need an operation. <laughs> Uh, they're, they're causing enormous pain, and I can't find the right doctor that will fix it. And I'm actually now to the point where it's just so insane and so frustrating and so painful. I'm ready to just amputate. Just I don't care. Just kill the whole thing. You know, just just amputate and be done with it. Uh, and and to psychologically think that okay, you know, the operation might happen in November, and then it might happen in. December and then it might happen in January and continue to have it be pushed back has been excruciating. Not to mention, it's been a lot of work. I mean, this project is enormous that we're undertaking here from a number of different perspectives. It's, and it's not just a lot of work, but it's arduous and, you know, there are arguments and there's hurt feelings and there's politics and none of which I'm good at. I'm good at Here's what happened. 
Okay, let me tell you what happened and what didn't happen, and here's why we know. The other stuff I'm terrible at often. And, uh, and so that's been really difficult. But it's also been really difficult because I know, having lived this story for almost six years, and like in some ways actually over six years, I know that even if we fire the gun and hit the target perfectly, it's not going to do any good. That's the part that in the back of my mind has really driven me crazy because there's going to be risk in firing that gun, uh, not just for me but for some other people, potentially significant risk with regard to blowback because this story is so toxic and there are so many people invested powerful people deeply invested in a myth so when that gun gets fired assuming that it does you know you want it to be able to to have some impact and i don't think we're living in a world where we're going to have any impact so that's kind of psychologically very devastating because you're going through all this work, all this hardship. You've gone through this incredibly long road to try to get the truth out in a way that people might take seriously or credibly. You're close to doing that. And even then you don't really believe it's going to work. And, and that's not just the pessimist in me, folks. That's me understanding the nature of the news media, how invested they are in the mythology of this case and how desperate they will be to destroy anyone who dares, dares question their narrative here. Blasphema! Yeah, that's, that's what I am. Because I am not just skeptical, I'm positive, folks. I am positive that everything you were told about what supposedly happened in the Penn State Joe Paterno Jerry Sandusky story is not just uncertain it's untrue it's false in fact it's the opposite of true Blasphemy! he said it again yeah that's what will be the reaction and in fact the best i can hope for if this gun ever gets fired is for it to be ignored that's actually the best i can hope for is that we fire this gun and the wilderness and some people notice, but most people, the rest of the media goes, well, we can't do anything with this, so we're just going to move on, pretend it didn't happen. That's the best we can hope for, which is incredibly depressing. So I'll keep you updated on that. I, I'm hopeful, but still very skeptical. And, um, but trust me, we're doing everything we possibly can, because we know this is the last shot. This is the last shot. This is the last chance to try to get the truth out there. Unfortunately, we don't live in a world where the truth has that much power anymore. So, you know, it, 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 like I said, the, the impact is likely to be very little and could actually be negative. <laughs> now, as far as the Post story, this guy, Will Hobson, and this, this is important not just with regard to the specifics of the Penn State paterno Sandusky story. This tells you a lot about the way the news media works. So, as I said... I, I must have talked to this guy, I don't know, for dozens of hours, I'm guessing, over the last year or so. We've met in person at the Graham Spanier trial. We've exchanged hundreds of texts. At least, I think, you know, seems like hundreds of texts. I haven't counted them. I've also uh, sent him a ton of unpublished information. I mean, I'm talking 
explosive stuff. Recordings uh, that have never been made public. Photos that have never been made public. Uh, you know, never believing that he was going to get it. But I wanted to give him every opportunity. And partially, I wanted to give him every opportunity. One, because it's the Washington Post. So you got to have some hope. I mean, this is the... You know, this is a newspaper that is credible enough to bring down presidents, or at least used to be. And, and so you want to give – my theory on life is give everybody an opportunity before, you know, before they reveal themselves as a fraud uh, and you realize they're going to screw you. Give them every opportunity. The other thing, by the way, which gave me a tiny sliver of hope, is that there's an investigative reporter in the crime section as opposed to the sports section of the Washington Post who's followed what I have been doing and appears to be basically 100% on board that I'm right, that the whole case was a fraud. And he had put in a good word about me and my work to this reporter. So I'm thinking, okay, at least he doesn't think, or at least he thinks I might not be, a complete and total whack job. Because that's the first hurdle you got to get over when you're telling somebody that this whole case is a fraud. They think you're nuts. They think that you're like Alex Jones or, you know, the moon landing didn't happen or 9-11 was an inside job. And I can't stand conspiracies. In fact, the great irony of this whole story is I'm the one who's the anti-conspiracy guy. <laughs> I'm the one saying there was no conspiracy. And I don't believe I don't believe there was any conspiracy more larger than maybe one or two people at a time. This, was, this whole story was a conspiracy of self-interest. And part of that self-interest was people thinking that they were doing the right thing. Which is a very dangerous, very dangerous situation. When people think that they're doing good, they'll do anything. Uh, often immoral or unethical or illegal to make sure that they get to the right conclusion. So I'm, I'm not a conspiracy person at all. <laughs> I'm the anti-conspiracy person. So I'm thinking... At the very least, this guy, Will Hobson, is at least, because of this other Washington Post reporter, he's at least listening to what I have to say. And he did. I mean, to his credit, he did listen. <laughs> and, uh, but, of course, he had a self-interest to do so because not only did I give him all this information, I set him up with major interviews. I I'm 90% sure I'm the reason why he spoke to Franco Harris. I, I know I was there with him when uh, he interviewed Franco Harris at the Spaniard trial. So I'm pretty sure I created that hookup. I had him interview Jerry Sandusky's wife, Dottie Sandusky, with no... In fact, I told him, please, ask her anything you want. Go after her as hard as you possibly can. Because, I mean, you know, he's already made it clear to me he's completely convinced that Jerry Sandusky is, is guilty and that at least most of this is all true. He didn't even mention Dottie in his story. Imagine that. Imagine that. He, he, he does this massive story in the Washington Post, doesn't even mention an interview that he does with the wife of Jerry Sandusky. Who, you have to be, if you understand the story, you have to understand, Dottie's not just the wife of the accused, which would be a big deal under any circumstances, given the allegations, since they're sexual, right? But she's a witness. She, she has to be lying. The two of the key accusers effectively put her at the scene of the crime witnessing what's going on. And those are just the trial accusers. So she has to be a delusional liar for, for the case to be remotely legitimate. He never mentions her. Also, I'm 
some percent sure I set him up with John Snedden, the former NCIS agent, who did an investigation of this entire story for the federal government for the purposes of renewing the then uh, former president, or still, then, still former president of Penn State, Grand Spaniards, national security clearance, which was extended after this whole story broke nationally because Snedden's report indicated there was no cover-up and there's no sign of any crime here. Federal government investigation did an extensive interview with this guy, not mentioned in his story. So you don't mention, <laughs> you don't mention Dottie, you don't mention Snedden, and, uh, and and in fact, you've decided to focus on this conspiracy, li- this lying dirtbag conspiracy nut who I'm responsible for even anyone paying any attention to, which just drives me crazy. Because early on in this case, I decided to align myself with him, and we worked together on the website, FramingPaterno.com, even though I, could, I knew the guy was nuts. But I, I had no choice. I had no allies at that moment. I eventually cut off ties with him because it was clear to me he was no longer interested in the truth and that he just wanted a narrative that was going to you know, have people slap him on the back at Penn State tailgate parties for the rest of his life. And, and he's also a nut and a complete conspiracy theorist. I mean, like, to ridiculous degrees. And so the Post focuses on him. Now, I was actually glad, very glad, that he never mentions me in the article. And I told him he wouldn't, even though he kept saying he would, which is funny. Because one of the things you have to understand about the way that a, a New York Times or a Washington Post reporter works, they always presume, and with good reason, that... Everybody wants to be in their article, right? Oh, I want to be mentioned in the Post or the New York Times. There's prestige and I'll be considered credible and all that. I couldn't give a shit. (laughs) In fact, I really didn't want to be in the article because I knew I was working on this other project. And I thought, is that going to make that more difficult? If If I'm a subject in this article, is it going to make it more difficult for me to be the author of another article in another magazine, another publication? So a couple months ago, now conv- completely convinced that Hobson was going to blow the story, I started really letting him have it <laughs> via text. I was not holding back at all. I was being professional, but I was pushing the edge. Like, you know, dude, I know your story's going to suck. I know you're a coward, but, you know, here, in case you care, here's some more information. Here's some more proof that this part of the story is bullshit. Here's some more proof here. And he keeps responding. And I'm sure he's baffled because he's like, doesn't Ziegler want to – why is he not kissing my ass? Because that's the way these reporters norm. that's the, the, the response these reporters normally get is someone is kissing their ass. Don't you want me to put your – perspective in the story i said no because i know there are there's really only one choice and that is i will be mocked because you believe in santa you're doing a story about christmas and you believe in santa i don't believe in santa i know there's no santa i have been on the ground for six years and i have enormous amounts of proof that there's no santa now, I, w- I don't know how to do this technically. I'm sure there's a way, but I just don't know because I'm a technical dunce. But I guarantee you that if all of my text 
exchanges with this reporter were ever published, it would be so much more interesting <laughs> than the article that he wrote. It would, it would be way more entertaining. It would be way closer to the truth. And it would tell you an awful lot about how the media works. But I'm going to just... I'm just going to tell you like the last, I don't know how many exchanges there. There's a bunch here that I think you'll find interesting. Uh, And this, this particular exchange starts a couple weeks ago when, uh, and this gets, everything about this case is so involved and takes so much time, but, but here's, here's the point. The Graham Spanier trial, former president of Penn state had one accuser testify a guy by the name of Michael K. Jack. Okay. So Will, Will saw Michael K. Jack testify. Now, Michael K. Jack's testimony has enormous problems. I mean, I could talk for an hour about the absurdity of his testimony. I mean, he's got three different dates in which it happened years and years apart. And I'm not talking about, like, got the date wrong. I'm talking about first it was 1998, then it was 2002, then it was 2001. It was before 9-11, then it was after 9-11, then, then it was during a time period in August that makes no damn sense because it's the busiest time of the football season for practice, and the, the story is completely incongruous with that. Not to mention that it, the story is incongruous with the fact that he's 13 or 14 at the time of the story because when he originally told it, he was supposedly 10, and he's talking about he doesn't know what an erection is. Okay, fine, but you can't, you can't say that at 13 or 14. You don't know what an erection is. That's absurd. So, I mean, the whole story is insane, okay? And they make this big dog and pony show, and I'll tell you, even Franco Harris. <laughs> Franco Harris was like, Wait a minute. I don't want to put words in Franco Franco's uh, mouth. Uh, but Franco attended that trial largely on my urging. And let's just say that Michael K. Jack's testimony had a major impact on Franco's view of this case. Not just Franco, but a lot of other people, too, who were never on this, you know, on the notion that Jerry Sandusky might be innocent. But K. Jack was a major accuser at Jerry Sandusky's trial. And he was not remotely credible. In fact, he was laughable. So it turns out that on Michael K. Jack's Facebook page, now let's be clear, Michael K. Jack's allegation is that he was abused by Jerry Sandusky in a Penn State shower after the so-called Mike McQuarrie episode when Penn State would have been, would have been involved in a cover-up, okay? And so... He gets paid $8.1 million by Penn State because, my God, he's the guy that Penn State should have saved because if they had not covered this up, he never would have been abused in a Penn State uh, shower. And now I know, by the way, and this will be hopefully public, but it's not public right now, I know that the story that KJAC told to get his money, totally different than the story he told under oath at both trials. Not just a little bit different, I'm talking 100% totally different story. And that's why he got paid $8.1 million. So, so the story is, he, now his, according to his settlement, he suffered all this horrendous abuse because Penn State covered up for Jerry Sandusky, right? Well, on his Facebook page, well, let me go to his wife's Facebook page first. On his wife's Facebook page, the cover photo, The cover photo is of their little daughter dressed in Penn State garb. That's the first thing that makes you go, really? Seriously? 
Then, also on the Facebook page is a uh, photo of the three of them. Michael K. Jack, his wife, and the little daughter in t-shirts that say, Saturdays are for Penn State football. Seriously? Seriously. There's no way. To the average person, you go, that's not possible. Based upon the allegation, that's not possible. All right? So I send Will those photos. Because I'm thinking, he's going to find this interesting. This is the guy he saw testify. Here's his text response. False equivalence, I think. Pretty sure I can find a practicing Catholic assaulted as a child by a priest. Now, that is a horrendous analogy on his part. It's juvenile. But I, I, I text back immediately, not the same. He texts, I have no personal investment in any side of this story, John. Yeah, right. Just a slightly more realistic vision of the type of evidence one needs to uncover to convincing con, con, to convincingly a man, I guess this is his bad syntax, to convincingly a man convicted of assaulting eight boys is, in, is innocent. And this ain't it. Convincingly argue, I meant, he texts. Okay, now, first of all, there's so many problems with this. Uh, uh, analysis by the reporter from the Washington Post. Number one is this cherry picking that when I send a photo of an accuser in Penn State garb with his wife and child in it, that this is the whole case. Like, that I'm saying, aha, I've proven the whole case. This is like a dot on this, um, this painting that I have been working on for six years. And it just happens to be a relevant dot because he witnessed that dot in court. And he knows what a fraud it is. Not to mention, the Catholic analogy is horrendous, as is this idea that somehow eight boys all came forward together. But all right, here's how I respond. They didn't. It was over a three-year period of time, one by one. But here's what I respond. Please do show me a boy assaulted by a priest who then has their baby in the garb of the church, which facilitated their abuse, and covered it up in a huge national story. Good luck with that, Will! Exclamation point, exclamation point. Then I say, you are so invested, or a moron. Maybe both. (laughs) I'm honestly not sure. This all paints a picture you don't want to see. Not that you matter anyway. By the way, when you find that photo laughing my ass off, please make sure it's the mom's Facebook profile picture, exclamation point, exclamation point. I will eagerly capitalize, await that photo you promised. Lots of laughs. Then he writes, if you get a victim to recant, that would be strong evidence. Facebook photos and neighbors who say they think victims are liars make great fodder for debates like this, but are underwhelming as evidence If you're arguing a man convicted of assaulting eight boys is innocent. Again, this goes back to the the fallacy of cherry-picking that this one data point somehow is the whole case. I respond, thanks for confirming that you are indeed more than just invested! Exclamation point. Not only is that an absurdly false premise, parentheses, so OJ is only guilty if he admits it? 
Because that's what he's saying, right? There's only The only way to prove that O.J. is guilty, because the court said he was not, is that if he admits it. The victims all got paid millions of dollars they don't want to lose and have been convinced by the media morons that there is no need to recant because Jerry is a monster. And they are heroes. This is not difficult stuff unless you are a moron invested in Santa Claus. The part of your investment that is so hilarious is that you don't want to see that this isn't eight who came forward at one time, in which case you might be right. But that, that this was eight coming forward one by one over a very long time, three years, in a direct domino effect, which all started with one obviously false allegation. Once the others were convinced that Aaron Fisher, who was the first one, was telling the truth, they all fell, helped by their friends. Every trial accuser after Fisher had at least one friend involved. One by one in a very slow domino effect of injustice. Then he writes back, You ever see a few good men? You're the kid from Gitmo here. I'm Lieutenant Chafee. I don't care what you believe. I care what you can prove. I have no investment. Just a much more realistic understanding of what type of evidence one needs to uncover to put together a piece of journalism arguing Jerry Zandowski is innocent. So I'm like, oh, so now you're acknowledging that the standard is different here. So I write, thanks for acknowledging the totally different standard for Sandusky because of abject fear of getting crushed by the herd. I have never even contemplated you remotely doing that story, Will. Never. That's not who you are. I'm just telling you you are the, uh, telling you the obvious truth of what really happened here so that years from now, if you ever do a story on this, you look less bad than you would otherwise. The embarrassing story you wrote last year on the settlement accusers already is a Google ticking time bomb and is surely one of the reasons you are still so deeply invested in Santa Claus. Though I'm sure you talked to Randy Tice, he's one of those settlement accusers that, that Will wrote about, and I gave him the phone number for. I said, here's the guy who you wrote about who's a complete fraud. It's a joke. His story is absurd on its face. Here's his phone number and email address. Talk to him. He said he would. I have no evidence that he ever did. I doubt that he did. Uh, you sure you talked to Randy Tice and he convinced you he knocked out Sandusky's teeth while he was getting raped by him. Because that's part of the story. L-M-A-O. And then I sent, <laughs> then I sent another from Michael K. Jack's Facebook page where at a Penn State tailgate party, he is showing off a, uh, a what, can, what, he only, what he himself describes as a giant penis cake. Because that's what a guy who got abused by Jerry Sandusky would be doing. Here's my penis cake at a Penn State football tailgate party. I write to him. He seems very traumatized sexually because I'm sure heterosexual sex abuse victims bring penis cakes to their PSU tailgate party and then publicly post about it all the time. I don't get a response. Uh, and so then, so then the, the story comes out. And, of course, I've given this guy enormous amounts of information numerous interviews, tons of my time. And so I decide, okay, I'm going to invite him on the podcast. Knowing damn right well he's not going to accept, but at least it'll make the point that he's a coward and a fraud, and not to mention an asshole because he owes me at this point. But I write, you are invited on my podcast this Saturday at whatever time works for you. 
I know you will want to explain your work, and since I gave you hours of my time set up with set you up with multiple high-profile interviews, I'm sure you will be eager to do the right thing. Let me know what time works best for you. <laughs> Shockingly, Will responds, Gonna pass, John, but thanks for the offer. And thanks again for your time and help. I may not be done with writing about this case, and you are a great resource. I'll be one with strong opinions and a tendency to resort to ad hominem hominem attacks on those who politely disagree. Now, what's interesting about that is he's trying to, he he still thinks I'm like a normal person. (laughs) And that like dangling the idea that he's going to write about it again in the future might keep me at bay. (laughs) Like, what are you, you you think this is my first fucking rodeo? (laughs) Are you you serious? This is John Ziegler you're dealing with here. So, I mean, come on. So I write back, I am so shocked. And here I thought you were a real journalist. Not. Thanks for being just as cowardly as I predicted all along. It's so weird that I'm constantly right about everything in this situation, yet wrong about Sandusky. Must be a hell of a coincidence. Thanks for uh, writing an article so pathetically bad, probably even worse than I assumed, that it will actually help in my other efforts to get the truth out. As for you writing anything in the future, why would I give a damn about that? You have already exposed yourself as a joke. And then I mocked the conspiracy theorist that he used to feature, and I said, was Alex Jones unavailable? Thanks for the laughs. Again, he writes, I've never understood why you've taken this so personally, but it's your prerogative all the best. I write back, so personally? This has nothing to do with me. This has to do with you being a horrible, cowardly reporter who blew a golden opportunity to tell the truth about an important subject and didn't even have the decency to answer questions in an interview after I gave you tons of time, effort, content, and interviews. That isn't complicated, Will, but you rationalize that it's about me because that's the only way you can feel good about yourself. You media morons are so easy to predict. The idea that you refuse to even name Matt Sandusky. He actually did this in the article. He references Matt Sandusky. An obvious public figure. Could not be more of a public figure. In a lie. He references a lie that Matt told in his settlement where he got only $325,000. But regardless, he lied for money from Penn State. And he doesn't use Matt Sandusky's name in the article. Why? Because they're protecting Matt Sandusky. Because if Matt Sandusky's lying, that starts to tear away the narrative. But I said... The idea that you you protected Matt Sandusky is journalistic malpractice of epic proportions, and yet just a small part of what why what you wrote was garbage. Then I don't hear from him for a while, and then I realize he made another major mistake in the in the article. He allows the lead prosecutor in this case to say something about the Mike McQuarrie kid, who he doesn't want to be credible because the Mike McQuarrie kid says nothing happened, that is completely factually absurd. And easily proven to be wrong. So I wrote, not that facts matter to you in your narrative, but the quote you used from Frank Fina about Alan Myers, Alan Myers is the McQuarrie kid, copying a McQuarrie transcript is utterly embarrassing. There was no McQuarrie transcript of any sort until way after Myers' statement, which cites info not publicly known until... Mike's December 2000, that's Mike McQuarrie's December 2011 testimony, which you were once enamored with, but then oddly discarded. If you didn't realize this, you are incompetent. If you did, then you are a prosecution stooge. I'm not sure which is worse. 
Will responds, John, the personal attacks are unbecoming. I think you're better than this, and I'm ignoring them because I know on your better days you make very reasonable points about public misperceptions about this case. <laughs> I'm like, trust me, I'm not better than this. I didn't write <laughs> This is who I am. I am not better than, than going down this path because once you declare war on me, See, I, I give you every benefit of the doubt. This is the way I work in life. I will give you every benefit of the doubt. But once you declare war, and I'm cl- I'm certain there's no salvaging you, then all bets are off. So I respond, laughing my ass off. It is a personal attack, in quotes, to point out that you used a key quote that was factually totally false? Question mark, exclamation points. What a precious snowflake you are, Will. You see, the, the journalist's answer would be, oh, shit, I fucked up. I'm going to follow up with FINA and then issue a correction slash clarification, unquote. But that's clearly not who you are. Then he writes, I wish you all the best, John. Happy New Year. And I write, may you get at least half of what you deserve for your gross malpractice and abject cowardice. And I'm thinking that's the end because he's given me the happy new year, all the best, right? Goodbye. Well, now he decides... He must be pissed because now he's, he starts to attack me, which I'm fine with. I mean, I'm a big boy. I can take it. But, but the way he attacks me is just... It's just flat out ridiculous. All right. Here's what he writes. If Joe Paterno really is innocent, which I'd argue is likely based on the evidence that exists, although he doesn't say that in the story, but okay. It's unfortunate for the Paternos that they and their supporters trusted you. You did significant damage to their efforts, and your continued arrogance and unrepentance does them no favors. Now, this is wrong on so many levels. First of all, the Paterno supporters never trusted me. That was to their own detriment because the paternal family was invested in a false narrative themselves, which is the first thing you need to understand to be able to figure out this case. I mean, and it's obvious, but the idea that I've ever done anything untrust, I've I've made a lot of mistakes in this whole deal, ton of mistakes, but I've never done anything untrustworthy and I not, not even close. And as far as my arrogance, I'm, I, okay, I guess I'm arrogant because I know I'm right. Like, would it be arrogant if someone said, I am positive that two plus three equals five? Man, you are an arrogant son of a bitch for thinking that two plus three equals five. Well, I'm sorry, uh, two plus three equals five, and nothing you say is going to change that. The facts are clear. The logic is clear. And the unrepentance part was my favorite part. <laughs> unrepentant? Blasphema! <laughs> So then I write, and this is this is how it ends up. LOL, is that a personal attack? <laughs> Question mark. Just let me know what I have said, unlike you, that is untrustworthy. Make sure that you get that right after you finally tell me which accuser you believe. Because that's one that's the one thing I said to him from the beginning. I said, when this is all done, I want one thing from you, Will. Tell me which accuser you believe. He never did that. And I'm not surprised because you can't. You can't. When you know the case, you can't do that. Uh, I wrote, Joe Paterno has fault in this fiasco too, but not nearly as much as his family does. Sandusky is innocent. It's not close. He couldn't even get a damn erection during the key time period. Paterno said on his deathbed he wanted the truth to be found. I found it. People like you did not because you were too dumb and cowardly. And oh, let me know what I should be repenting for. That should be good. 
Is it my blasphemy against the Santa Claus you media morons created? Question mark, exclamation point. No response. <laughs> no response from Will Hobson. I hope you enjoyed uh, that at least half as much as I did uh, presenting it to you. Uh, and I, like I said, that's just a small portion of these text messages. Again, part of the importance of that is this is the making of the sausage, right? The making of the sausage of a major journalistic piece in a major newspaper. There's no magic to it, folks. There's no, there's, there's no hocus pocus. No, it's, it's garbage in, garbage out. And that's what the Washington Post did, and that's what's happened on this story since day one. Whether that'll ever get, cre- uh, get fixed, I don't know. I'm doing the best I can. If you want more information, go to my website, framingpaterno.com. That's it for hour number three of this week's uh, podcast. Make sure you check out hour number one and hour number two, and also have a happy new year. I only ask two things of you. If you uh, are so inclined, please share this via Facebook, Twitter, or any other social media or word of mouth. And number two, do yourself a favor. And if you're one of those people who sleeps and when you sleep, you use sheets, please pay attention to this important message. My name is John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. (laughs) Performance bedding? (laughs) Yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. (laughs) Well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. (laughs) (laughs) Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.